Hi, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge podcast. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and we are living in a very strange time indeed. Um, we're still in the midst of a worldwide pandemic that we're trying to navigate, uh, the economic fallout of which is not insignificant. Some 30 million Americans have filed for unemployment over the past several weeks. Businesses are struggling and uh, trying to open safely or figure out a way to open safely. People are protesting to open more quickly. We're in a, a time of uh, riots that have extended out of protests in response uh, to the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota, apparently at the hands of a police officer in Minneapolis. There are serious times. Uh, there are times that require uh, serious people and serious plans, and we're all looking for leadership to get us past uh, all of this and into whatever it is that comes next. Today, I have a conversation I had with a friend, Sam Malakarjanan, who is one of the most brilliant marketing minds I've ever known. Uh, he teaches at Harvard. He's worked for many of the best agencies in digital marketing, and uh, he developed a plan in his most current role uh, to deal with a situation, uh, an economic situation like this, uh, that had himself as a casualty of that plan, and we talk about that quite a bit, uh, and and how American corporate culture needs to. Uh, evolve going forward and how it's inevitable that it's going to have to evolve. So uh, I think it's a great conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, here it is. So how is uh, uh, springtime in New England? Hmm? <laughs> Cold and depressing. Cold and uh, depressing. Who, whoever painted springtime as this like beautiful period of joy and rebirth never had to deal with mud uh, from melted snows and you know <laughs> discovering all the obstacles on the sidewalk. Oh my gosh! Well, you're in uh, you're in Boston or in and around Boston, right? Right, right across the river from Boston. Yeah. Very good. So, um, are are you are you locked down still, or are you are you out for walks from time to time for fresh air, or what, what's the what's it look like out there right now? Uh, I mean, still got to walk the dogs a few times per day, but it's not. Uh, it's we're not hanging out outside. We're right. stuck in our apartment for most of the day. So, you. Um, your background is is kind of interesting. You have um, on your on your CV, you have uh, teaching te among other things, teaching at Harvard, teaching at the University of South Florida, as well as about seven years or so at HubSpot, which is one of the sort of I guess the two premier. Uh, you'd probably say the premier. I'd say the premier too. Uh, inbound marketing operations uh in the industry you know how do you go from from growing up in central florida to um you know hubspot and teaching at harvard yeah so they they like to introduce me on stage as college dropout and harvard instructor <laughs> because it's, it's a nice dichotomy yeah um 
by the way, for, again, just forgive the background noise with dogs and stuff like that, such as mm -hmm. life in the age of age of Corona. I totally understand. I have a bit of a zoo in my own home. I have two golden retrievers and two cats. So, uh, yeah. and one who was afraid of a thunderstorm last night. So I'm 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 a little I'm a little bit of a dozy person today, as a result. Oh, no worries. Um, yeah. So I was. Uh, I actually got into marketing because I was uh, I hosted a talk radio show about Scotch and cigars in Tampa, really, uh, or co-hosted one, yeah. And um, then I ended up, uh, you know, doing insurance sales on the side because radio doesn't really pay that well. Uh, and I did my my phone calls during the day from the VIP lounge of a of a cigar, you know, lounge in the area. <laughs> um, so yes, I was selling health insurance from a cigar lounge. Uh, but it was cheaper to buy like cigars and coffee than it was to like buy an office. Um, and then, you know, the owner there was asking me about the internet and stuff uh, because, you know, I'd done, I knew I could build websites and the basic stuff back in, you know, the early 2000s. Right. And uh, so I built them websites. Uh, you know, I, I sort of became the cigar industry website guy uh, <laughs> because, it, but then they all wanted to know, like, how do you actually make money off of it? I'm like, no. I don't know. How do you make money out of it? Right. Uh, so I, I started searching online. It's actually how I discovered HubSpot. Um, I found their content, started reading it, learned about internet marketing and those sorts of things. Uh, eventually decided I wanted to uh, go work for HubSpot, but I was a college dropout, which is a separate long story. Yep. Um, and, you know, not a ton of relevant experience. So I built uh, a site called HireMeHubSpot.com. Uh <laughs> with a little landing page to register for the free webinar on why you should hire me. Uh, and then because I was broke at the time, I used the free credits you get when you create a LinkedIn or Facebook or Google uh, ads account right. uh, to target people at their company to register for a webinar. Um, best campaign I ever ran took three hours and 26 minutes to get a phone call from the recruiter uh, after I hit go on that. And um, then I, then I moved up to Boston. So that's how, that's how I went, ended up at HubSpot. And then Harvard the, and USF, the, the interesting thing is now the, the stuff we're doing now didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. Now it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but especially in 2012, 2013, 2014, the people teaching at Harvard and USF didn't have practical hands-on experience in the industry. Right. And so they did something really smart, which is they found people like me who have hands-on experience in the industry, but they paired us with professional educators right. uh, because that is a very under like rated sky so much more respect for educators now that i've had to do it uh and so like i was able to create the content and they were able to help me you know manage the class and and create the quizzes and just the pedagogy stuff that i didn't know right uh, and figure out how to actually teach it uh yeah. you know wheels on the ground kind of teaching mm -hmm. it's uh, it's interesting because the way you describe that it's like um you did everything you know you did content marketing right before it was really sort of a thing, you know, it's, I mean, HubSpot was a thing at the time, but it was, uh, it, it wasn't the thing it is now, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing conversation now. Um, the only reason I did that by the way, is because I, Har HubSpot had a higher rejection rate than Harvard, uh, did for, for employees. Did it really? Applicants. Yeah. At the time, uh, <laughs> they, just, they were getting a ton of applications. Uh, and so I knew they weren't going to hire me. Right. And when you know you're going to fail, it, it gives you a lot of flexibility to be creative. Oh, uh, well, it like, frees you up. Yeah, you have, it's the, the, the most dangerous, you know, competitor out there is the one with nothing to lose. 
Exactly. Yeah. Right. If I if I'd have thought they were actually going to hire me, I would have submitted my normal resume and they would have rejected me. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, normal channels. It's funny because there's a you know there's many more people get jobs through normal channels than people who don't. But everybody tells you the story about the one who did it through some other way uh, as the way you should do it. Um, so, I mean, it's got to be a combination of, of uh, an alternative way, but it's got to be a really good, smart, creative alternative way. It can't be, you know, sending your resume in a pizza box. Uh, no, but we have had people do that. Um, <laughs> people I mean, everything. finding some way to stand out. And, and the, the other thing, too, is it just showed a practical grasp of the skills. It would right. sort of be like, I, I suppose, like a chef, you know, making you a meal in order to right. get, get you to hire them kind of thing. Right. But I mean, that's it. It's funny. You go to HubSpot, you start reading, you find HubSpot, you start reading the content and it's, that's exactly what they want you to do. I mean, the, the, the objective for them is, is more, uh, a, you know, landing a sale or landing a, a, a new client or something. But, you know, for you, you got there, you got educated and that, it presumably inspired you to do it this other way, you know, which is exactly what they're looking for is people who can do that. You know, because execution, I was in a, um, I entered a marketing association uh, contest uh, this year. And I put, you know, entered something for an award and whatever and all that stuff. And I was looking through it and it, it made me crazy because all the winning projects were pretty. They were beautiful. They were really well designed. But there was no element of effectiveness as part of the judging. So you have no idea if this is a good marketing campaign or a bad marketing campaign. If they're all, mm. you know, they're good looking, <laughs> but that's it. So, you know, that's the thing with HubSpot and inbound marketing. It's all about results. Yeah. It turns out marketers actually uh, have to have an impact on their business. Uh, we're not just sitting in the corner playing with crayons, which is what people used to think we did. That's what, you know, anybody in the creative world, they, they used to think that too. They said, can't you just press a button and do that? And said, no, not really. So that's cool. So then um, you were at HubSpot when I met you, but you ended up moving to Flock, which is a, well, you, you explained to me what Flock is. It's, I'll, I'll, I could do it, but I, I would rather. Uh, <laughs> communication collaboration software for small, for small and mid-sized businesses. Right. Uh, so business messaging, so you can chat, you can share files, you can have to do's and projects uh, and such. And uh, there's an email app, calendar app. So if you combined like Slack, Zoom and Google apps uh, and made it significantly easier to use, that's, that's Flux Cool. So, and that's, that's why I originally wanted to talk to you for this series was because that's as, as all of this coronavirus stuff was happening, there was a lot of talk of, the first conversation was all about how do people work from home and um, and you know flock is like this perfect kind of combination tool to make that easier uh, and secure and simple and, and quick and so that's what I wanted to talk to you about originally um, so you know uh, let's talk about that for, for a minute or two and 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 how how, how did the flock system uh, enable people to work offline uh, in a world, you know, say, say a client who, who never really embraced that idea, all of a sudden had to embrace it. What did that look like? Yeah, so the, 
I, I used to tell the team like last year when I started here that I believe that in the future, like a hundred years from now, economic historians would have a name for this period in time where we went from Dilbert cartoons and movies like the office <laughs> or office space uh, to, uh, you know, people working on a boat in Bali and, you know, generic job titles because your career just goes in a million different directions. Right. Um, I did that all before coronavirus happened, which right. I think now will be the big story here because it's it's forced a lot of companies where we were sort of boiling the frog uh, in terms of, you know, people were starting to begrudgingly allow remote work. Uh, they were starting to create more flexibility inside their organizations, et cetera. Now just everybody has to all at once or, or you don't do business. Um, and so, I mean, the, the things I love, one is like, your access to talent is uh, increases because you know not everybody who's any good at marketing lives in Boston. There are good marketers elsewhere, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> despite what people in Boston think. Uh, <laughs> their level of happiness is higher, right? So I lived in Florida for a while because uh, my wife wanted to be closer to her family, but uh, you know, and HubSpot could have just kept me in Boston and made me miserable, or but they let me live in Florida, uh, and I was just a happier employee. Um, and then the thing that really interests me, I love, I love telling the story of, we had a guy on the support team who ran a weirdly popular YouTube channel on the side, uh, and you know, Flock was a startup. And so we didn't have a lot of video resources, but he, because we were having these conversations that everybody could be a part of and have access to, uh, he saw that we were working on this project. He was able to contribute to it. So on his side, he gets more professional validation because you're more than just you know, job title box on an org chart. Uh, you have more talents than that. So he got to contribute to that project and have fun. And as a manager, I got, I was paying for that talent anyways. It's just right. that 10,000 years of organizational design and management has never allowed me to access the talent I was paying for. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, that was always the, the vision and the mission and why I was passionate about it. Uh, right. And then obviously coronavirus has made it so that nobody gets to argue with me anymore when I say that you should do that. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it really has, I mean, you say it forced, it's forced companies to do this. You know, I, I remember, you know, when this idea of, um, you know, flexible schedules and working from home was, was kind of a brand new concept for a lot of, you know, kind of traditional corporations. And you would have to make a case. Working from home did not equal day off. I think we're, we're going to come out of this uh, with people understanding that it's okay to give you options because yeah. I actually am not that productive from home. Uh, because <laughs> there's, there's chores to do. I get distracted by my dogs. There's also a lot of background noise and right. you know, it's not the same. Um, I, I mean, I can be productive from a cigar lounge or I could be productive from the office. Right. Um, but, th- but the thing that, that is going to change is we have to build organizations and policies in a way that, lets people have that choice. If right. you're more effective from home, work from home. If you're more effective at the office, work from the office. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is another thing, is it's a sort of a philosophy thing, I, I guess, is, is um, I, don't, I don't think people want to do a bad job. I don't think people want to get away with, you know, a couple of hours free during the day when nobody's paying attention. I don't, I don't think people like to be in that position. So, you know, I find it very counterintuitive when people sort of question, you know, how much you're getting done. I mean, you can see what they're getting done. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather you, 
you know, if you can get everything I expected to get done in two hours, sure, go ahead. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I've never really been a clock watcher that way. The managers who are, so first of all, there's two bits. One, yes, we now, especially in the age of metrics and analytics, we're paying for performance, not necessarily paying for time. Right. Um, and we always were, it's just time was the only analog we had for, right. for performance. Um, but the people who are really worried about that are people who are just bad managers, uh, bad leaders who right. are worried that without strong mechanisms of control, that they might actually have to be good at their jobs and motivate you right. or make sure that you're in a in a role you want to do that you're passionate about, that you're not getting discouraged because you're running into blockers or lack of resourcing or uncertainty. Right. Turns out being a good manager is actually a hard job. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, again, for 10,000 years, they've gotten out of having to be good at that job uh, by just forcing everybody to, uh, to, to hate their lives at work by having these mechanisms of control. Right. I mean, because I never understood. If you had a whole team that was actually happy in their work and happy to be there and getting their work done, uh, that's, uh, that's going to make you look better as a, as a leader rather than John Cleese did a, uh, from, uh, Monty Python did a, did a whole series of leadership videos years ago. Uh, and I remember a couple of them being this, just kind of this obvious and because that was the joke is that the, the leader is that bad that he doesn't see, um, that hiring people who are less intelligent than him makes him look less intelligent. People hiring smarter people make him look better you know, or people who are better at their job make him look better. And that's, and that's, you know, I, I never, <laughs> it seemed counterintuitive to me. It is, and you, it is what, a weird point in your career though. When you, when you start managing people and you realize it's no longer your job to be the best at that. Right. Uh, like I'm not the best marketer anymore because right. you know, technology changes, there's all these new tactics, et cetera. But my job isn't to be the best marketer. My job is to uh, understand what talent is needed within the context of our strategy, get that talent and give them the, make the conditions for them to be successful. Right. Uh, that is a weird transition though, that not everybody survives. Yeah. And you know, there's the old expression, people get promoted to their own level of incompetence, you know, <laughs> and, and you, so you get promoted, uh, but like you're really good at, you know, copywriting or you're really good at, you know, inbound marketing, or you're really good at, you know, graphic design or whatever it is. And so you've done well at that. And now it's time to give you a promotion. We promote you to a manager. So now you're going to manage a creative team. And it's like that, but you have no training in that. You have no understanding of what makes someone good at that unless you've studied it, which is, you know, it happens from time to time. Um, but you know, we, we have this, this idea of, of throwing people into these jobs that, you know, aren't related to the skills they have. It's starting to change too, which is the concept of individual contributors as a reasonable career track. Right. Uh, I mean, I still have like my parents and such ask me how many people report to me because that's the analog for right. how successful I am. Mm -hmm. um, but like one of the best SEOs on the planet I know lives in Th he was in Bali, now he's in Thailand because mm -hmm. he works remotely. He makes more money than I do. Right. Uh, because he's, in, but he's incredibly good at what he does. Right. Um, so you don't have to, you can grow your career in ways that are not just management and leadership. Right. Um, and just because you're good at something does not mean you're going to be good at managing other people doing that thing. 
Right, right. And it, you may not have any interest in managing other people or, you know, and, <laughs> and managing, you know, a team of three people is different than managing a department of 23 people, yeah. you know, and they're, they're different skill sets. And I, I like that because you, you speak, uh, you speak a lot and you, and you, and you write a lot about uh, leadership and what makes a good leader. And uh, some of the things you talked about that I find interesting uh, are the, well, is the idea of, you know, continual improvement of your team to find them the next spot for them, whatever the next job they're going to fit into, whether it's in your organization or not. Yeah. So I learned this trick from HubSpot. Um, I, had a, an agreement with, you know, Kip, who was the CMO, Brian uh -huh. and Darmesh, who were the founders, right. uh, that if I wanted to leave, I should tell them uh, and they will help me find something cool to go to next. Right. And what, what that meant was that it made me really, really snobby about what job opportunities I was going to entertain. <laughs> uh, like a recruiter couldn't just reach out to me and offer me more money. Because right. In the back of my mind, I'm always like, well, I, bet, I bet like Kip, Brian and Darmesh could probably find me a better job if I really right. wanted to leave. Uh, and so I would always, and it also gave them early warning because if a, a recruiter did come up to me, uh, I would tell them, hey, hey, what do you think about this role? Right. Um, and then they'd be like, no, that's not that interesting. Let's actually create another role for you internally uh, or find something else. So it's a retention right. metric as much as anything. Right. Um, and you have, you have the benefit too of, you know, you want to be known as a, as an employer, as a manager, where working for me is the best way you can spend your time, right. not just in terms of money, not just in terms of being happy, but like if you work for me for a few years, you, your career will grow faster right. than if you go work for a generic manager. Right. Um, so I learned that trick from them. It worked a bunch of times. I turned down two CMO roles right. all at HubSpot because they made me snobby. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, uh, I decided that it was time for me to move on and we got together on a Trello board and we, you know, sorted through all the different kinds of companies. They did actually help me find a new role. Wow. Um, and so first of all, I have a lot of loyalty to them, a lot of appreciation and they right. can point to that too when asking other employees to trust them when they say, uh, you know, you should take a job, you shouldn't take a job, et cetera. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I try to do the same thing with, uh, with my team, uh, usually on a small scale. Uh, mm -hmm. So I had, I had one guy last year on the support team. He had an opportunity to run, uh, run an entire support team, but at a much smaller company. I'm like, right. you should take that. Uh, I've had some people who didn't listen to me and regretted it. They went to go yeah. work at Facebook or something and now they hate it. And yeah. I told you so. <laughs> um, I told you you would hate it. But, uh, <laughs> but so people had that trust. Now, obviously now I've had to do it on a much larger scale. Um, right. Because we ended up having uh, restructuring and layoffs at Flock. Uh, so I'm uh, spending a lot of time now helping uh, more people than I would normally have hoped find new roles. Right. Uh, not only because it's the right thing to do for them, but recruiting talent, like really good people in the knowledge economy world that we have, mm -hmm. uh, there's a huge difference between somebody who's good and somebody who's great. Right. And the people who are great have options. And you right. have to you, you have to give them good reasons to trust you and work with you. Right. Um, and so I may want to work with these people again sometime in the future. And so I, I have a vested interest in making sure that, that they're happy and successful. Well, yeah. I mean, you talked about the, the loyalty aspect in that let me tell me when you want to move and we'll help mm -hmm. you. Uh, and the loyalty 
aspect. It's, it's really, it's true loyalty. It's not this kind of throw toss around word loyalty. Like people use, you know, just loyal, you know, I'm loyal to you, but you're not loyal to me. Kind of, kind of a management style that we see sometimes out there in the world. Uh, that's an actual true, you know, cause they, they actually helped you. And when somebody actually helps you, you develop uh, loyalty, love, friendship, uh, appreciation of those people so that when they call you later for anything, whatever it is, you know, Hey, come speak at my thing. Um, you'll, you'll take the call. You'll certainly talk to them and, and see what's going on because it's, um, you know, and that makes a hell of a lot more sense than, than the under my thumb kind of style of leadership that was prevalent in, uh, you know, big American corporations for a long time. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, managers who are bad at their jobs have a lack of trust. Mm -hmm. uh, trust is inherently based on self-interest. Uh, they have to believe that whatever I'm telling them is because I think it's what's best for them, mm -hmm. not because it's what's best for me or it's benefiting me in some way. Right. Um, and if they don't believe that, if they don't trust me, I'm not going to be able to build an order, whether it's trusting them to work from home or trusting them with a big initiative uh, or, uh, you know, or them trusting me when I say like, you shouldn't leave, you shouldn't take that job. You should take, right. uh, you should stay here instead. Um, they have to believe that I am not going to just do what's best for me. I'm going to do what's best for them. And if, if they don't believe that, then I won't be trusted in the, uh, in the community of professionals, uh, much less on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Right. And trust, I mean, trust is a big thing. I talk about trust a lot and what I do, you know, when you start talking about, you know, telling a story and, and getting a brand story right and clear, uh, it's all about, you know, it should be all about them, all about the customer, the client, the prospect, whoever it is you're talking to. And, it's so often not it's so often we all want to talk about things as they apply to us and it takes a lot of sort of you know effort to to remember uh, to remind yourself that you're you know the reason you're talking to this person is because you're trying to help them so uh you know um and and speaking of of trust and helping people in careers and transitioning and things um I was really intrigued. I know your CEO at Flock wrote a really interesting piece right after the coronavirus started uh, impacting uh, everybody sort of around the country at least and, and certainly around the world. That um, was a really nice piece. But then um, as, as happens with a lot of uh, software as a service companies we've talked about, uh, you and I have talked about this, is, is it, it tends to get managed by uh, or cash flow revenue tends to get managed by uh, employee uh, size, number of employees. Uh, so Flock was in a position to, uh, unfortunately, like a lot of companies, lay off a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, in the knowledge economy, uh, you know, our primary costs are people. Um, yeah. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand different business models have different mechanisms of growth. People mm -hmm. sort of make fun of Amazon, right? Cause they make like $400,000 a minute, every minute of every day, right. uh, but they don't turn a profit. Uh, the reason they don't turn a profit is because they're investing in growth. Um, right. Whether it's new products like Amazon web service or whether it's a new customer acquisition. Um, companies like Flock, like HubSpot, mm -hmm. uh, we're so good at keeping customers that mm -hmm. we actually lose money to acquire a customer. Uh, and then we break even after a certain period of time. Right. Uh, 
so, you know, with a lot of software companies, it might be up to 24 or 30 months, uh, 36 months that it takes you to break even on acquiring a customer. Um, the downside of that is that it is capital intensive, right? The good thing is like, you know, you can build a big successful business. Uh, the downside is growth is extremely capital intensive. And the main mechanism for preserving cash flow is to stop growing. Right. Just if you if you don't have 30 months of cash on hand and you have a 30 month payback period, you really shouldn't add any more customers unless you're confident you can get money from elsewhere. Right. Um, and for the last 10 years, the confidence you can get money from elsewhere was high uh, because investors uh, were were willing to uh, and had the availability to, you know, make all kinds of investments in startups and take big risks. Right. Uh, right now what's going on in the market is nobody knows what's going to happen. What's how this is all going to shake out. Everybody is, and it's an evolutionary imperative that we fill the absence of information with the worst case scenario. Right. It's like our ancestors who did not assume the rustling in the bushes was a lion did not survive to pass on their genes. <laughs> they so, found out it was a lion. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're all descended <laughs> from paranoics because they were the ones who survived. Right. So because there's so much uncertainty, everybody feels it with worst case scenario. Capital has just like completely dried up. Um, and it's easy to say, you know, the way to preserve cash flow is to stop growing. Right. Uh, but again, in the knowledge economy, that's people. So you right. end up getting rid of the sales and marketing team. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's hard. And you're, and in your role at flock, you were a chief revenue officer. Is that correct? I was the chief revenue officer. Yeah. So it kind of fell to you to, you know, create the plan or the options to how to deal with this. Right. Yeah. I had plans for a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> I, I had Hopefully in an envelope somewhere that you wouldn't have to use. Right. Yeah. I, I had plans for like, what happens if we go to war with Iran and we can't, fly our executives from India, you know, I was anticipating a, an economic correction as bad as three to five years of negative two to negative 3% GDP growth. Right. Plans for all that kind of stuff. Not gonna lie, did not have a plan for the sudden collapse of every sector in every country simultaneously. Right. Um, I did explain to people, by the way, that no one would ever responsibly plan for that because the right. only possible mitigation would have been to spend all of 2019 doing nothing and just saving up cash, right. which under most circumstances is not a responsible use of investor funds. No. Um, so I, we didn't have a plan for that. We, uh, when things sort of started spiraling out of control in February, March, obviously we talked about a lot of things. Um, my main focus initially was employee safety and, and stuff like that. So how do you, how do we get everybody working from home? Um, how do we make sure everybody has healthcare resources and, and stuff like that right. uh and then and then yeah like we, we had to I, I i had to recommend laying myself off which was a unique experience in my career i would think it's probably not the kind of thing well it's certainly not the kind of thing you want to happen often but uh but you know that you know so now you're talking to your team um about what's happening and you're explaining what's happening and why it's happening and 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 what's going to happen to them um, which is no pleasant experience in any circumstance, but now you're also sort of in, in that same boat with them. Uh, do you, how do you talk to them about that? So first of all, yes, it's very, very hard to look somebody in the face who didn't do anything wrong or had actually been crushing their goals right. and tell them that they're not going to have a job anyways. Right. Uh, and that the reason is because 
whether you can blame me or not, it was still my responsibility to have a plan for this. Like I did right. make the decision to staff up and grow the team because right. I was planning to grow in 2020. Uh, you know, because you made that because whether it's a bad decision or not, it was a decision that was mine. Right. Um, but it, it made the conversation a lot easier, frankly. Right. To say uh, our last day is Friday. This uh, is going to be our severance, uh, etc. But, it, but it, you know, there were th uh, I discovered there were three reactions. People either got angry uh, or they got upset and sad or they just sat there stunned and had to reconnect with me later. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was actually easier because I was going with them. Yeah, I mean, because it's a strange – I mean, it's really a strange thing. I've been talking about this with people and how, you know, what's happened as a result of this um, you know, and I, and I think some of the terminology that gets thrown around is, isn't exactly correct because um, they talk about recession and all that. And, you know, it, it's not a typical recession. This was like the door just got slammed and that's it. Yeah. Everybody's locked out. Uh, aside from, you know, weirdly, the handful of uh, real estate people I know are doing really well uh, for some reason. Uh, and there's a handful of little things that are, that are still going. Uh, refinancing loan people, uh, yeah. I know. but um, you know everything else is just like you know, twenty-two million people filing for unemployment in three weeks is a door getting slammed and locked, and maybe the key thrown away for a while, so or thrown in the bushes anyway. So you have to go look for it. The but, image in my mind is, uh, <laughs> you know, those videos where like somebody's we're standing up, we're getting ready to sit down on our chair. Uh, because we know it's time to sit down. Like we were all mm -hmm. expecting some kind of correction, uh, but then somebody pulled out the chair, pulled the chair out from under us while we were sitting down, and we just right. like fell over. That's what it feels like. That's pretty good. That's that's. I mean, that's yeah. Because it's you know we can say yeah yeah a uh, a pandemic of some kind was predictable. When who knows? We can say you know uh, a market correction is predictable and all that kind of stuff. But when it happens on this scale, it's like. Yeah, it's a surprise. It's everybody's a surprise. Um, and like you said, it's, it's, you know, who could imagine a time where, where, you know, basically every sector around the world gets hit equally hard at the same time. It's, it's you know, it's, it's sort of impossible to understand. Um, so what's, uh, you know, what's, <laughs> what's next for you? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm spending my time right now helping the folks who got laid off find new roles. Mm -hmm. um, I am doing some consulting and teaching. Like, I have to help. Some schools just want me to help them onlineify their, right. their curriculum because they have no other choice. Uh, it's weird because by definition, you, you don't hire somebody like me unless you're either expanding or pivoting a strategy, and nobody's right. doing that right now. No. Um, so, uh, so I'm. I'm yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see my wife happens. and I, my wife and I lived in a van for a year. Uh, we're thinking about just doing that again, just hitting the road and for a year and see where the till the world gets its stuff together, and then we'll come out of hiding. Well, it's it's good to be in a position to be able to do that, uh, and I hope you. Uh, uh, I have no doubt you will you will land in a very fine space in the end. But uh, I appreciate you talking to me today. My pleasure. I, people find it like I, I, this is the first time in my career, by the way, where I have one-on-ones with employees and I had, and I have nothing to say. I don't have a fun anecdote or a story right. or a one-liner that fits this. The only one-liner I have when I was in college and in army ROTC, 
my buddy Sean asked me, we, we watched the movie Transformers. He's like, what would you guys do if like alien robots actually showed up and attacked? I'm like, I don't know, we just try shooting them. And he's like, what happens if that doesn't work? I'm like, shoot them again? <laughs> like, the, I, I actually find it very comforting when like there, when there are no options. Because there's not a bad choice that, that, that I can make. Right, so I'm not afraid of ghosts either, right? Like, there's nothing I can do in that situation, so it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. In my case, yeah, it's you know, it's going to shake out to be what it's going to shake out to be, and we're all just going to have to get through it. Well, it's not. It's not too different from you know what we started talking about, which was that idea of you know um, the most dangerous opponent is somebody who has nothing to lose. Yeah. Um, you know, you're in a spot where all right, let's let's figure it out. And, uh, you know, so the question is, what are you going to do? The answer is, well, I'm going to figure it out. You so know, many I, startups came out of the 08 recession and stuff like that, Airbnb, right? Uber, and stuff like that. You got a lot of really brilliant, really talented people with nothing to lose. The next right. five years, 10 years, are super And, you know, a lot of time on their hands to think about it, too. <laughs> you know, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your insight. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. So that's my friend Sam, who has a lot of great ideas about marketing and a lot of great ideas about management and leadership and how um, things are going to change and going to be forced to change as a result of what's going on now. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was a great conversation. Uh, thanks for listening. Be careful out there. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts or we're on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly excellent A Guest in the House, about all things hip-hop. The music on the podcast was provided by Jody Nardone and the Jody Nardone Trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. And if you'd like to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for other subjects or guests, you can reach us through the StoryForge website. That's thestoryforge.com all words separated by hyphens. Or you can email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H. Thanks very much. What you were